Dusty, what's the one book you can always find in our car when we're on a trip? Honestly, Mike, it is usually a Moon travel guide. That's right. Moon is our favorite travel guidebook publisher because not only are they a source for ethical travel and the best ways to get away, but their books also are packed full of information on everything from sites to see, trails to hike, restaurants, and lodging, all from real authors who are local to the areas they're writing about. That's right. And we're so excited that this year we are again partnering with Moon Travel Guides. Ready to cross something off your travel bucket list in 2024? Have a lot of great ideas for trips, but don't know how to get started or keep your itinerary organized? Wherever your wanderings might take you or inspire you to go, Moon Travel has you covered. Moon Travel is the travel guidebook publisher for ethical travel. Don't spend months trying to craft the perfect getaway when you can do it all with Moon. Whether you're headed abroad, planning to take to the open road, or want to wander the trails of a national park, make sure to pack a Moon Travel Guide with you. Through the end of 2024, our listeners can get 20% off any Moon Travel Guide when they use the code GAZE20 at checkout. That's amazing. And that is code GAZE24, G-A-Z-E-2-4 for 20% off any Moon travel guide in Moon's entire library. And that is just for our listeners, and you cannot find that anywhere else. Be sure to visit Moon.com. Head to our show notes and check it out and see Moon's entire collection of travel guidebooks. You thought we were gone. (laughs) (laughs) Surprise. Surprise. We're That's back right. with a bonus summer episode. That's right. What a shock. Shock That's right. and surprise. We're in hiatus right now, mm-hmm. which um, we usually take around August, September, yep, yep. because we have lives to live. And also, we have to get things ready for the next season. That's right. We're um, actually doing some retreat workings right Literally now. right now. And figuring some things out. Exciting things. Very exciting things for next season. For next season. I mean, our season goes typically from like September to July, which is a long podcast season, yeah. frankly. So if you are... <laughs> so I just wanted to let you all know that it's actually very long. <laughs> very that long. That was some Brenda energy right there. <laughs> well, I mean, you know... She'll come up later. In a world where often podcast seasons are, you know, contained inside of a certain number of episodes, mm-hmm. we, so we do have seasons, right. but it's definitely more of a week-to-week show. Yeah. You know? Exactly. So... Just but like how we're living our lives. How we're living our lives. <laughs> week a to week, week to week show. Seeing what happens next. Seriously. Taking though. everything in stride. <laughs> uh-huh. You're, you seem to be very triggered by that. Uh-huh. uh-huh. I'm just hyperventilating it all away. Just silently in the corner. Yeah. Until it's all gone. Right. I'm in the corner <laughs> watching you kiss her. <laughs> Whoa. So welcome back to not season four and not really season three, but sort of season sort three. Of, it's like a little it's bonus a tag at on. the end of season three. Yeah. Even though it's not technically a part of it. No. But yes. Yeah. We want to be listed under season yeah, three. Yeah. We wanted to do a little something because we have just returned from a giant five-week road trip in which we saw 10 national parks, nine of them new. We wanted to talk a little bit about that before the next season started and also kind of address some things that were prevalent and present throughout our journey um, that is affecting everyone from park staff to visitors to the country as a whole in a lot of ways. So we figured that it would be a great idea to tackle that before we started a brand new season. That's right. Right. Um, uh, Let's talk about how that trip, this trip that we went on, 
came about. Right. We had some travel scheduled for 2020 that we had to not do. Right. Obviously. obviously. We were going to go to Glacier. We were going to go to Florida first. We were going to go to Florida, do the three parks in Florida, mm-hmm. go to Glacier in June. in June. Yep. Go to the Pacific Northwest that following August. August. We had lofty plans. We had big plans. Yeah. And obviously all of those got changed. COVID changed everything for everyone. And then we had planned to go to Gettysburg to go camping, which we did do. Try it out. And we We loved it. We also discovered Catoctin Mountain when we were there. And then we had a whole other trip planned and booked where we like drove all the way to Badlands. But then... Badlands went cave... Teddy Roosevelt and then I think Indiana Dunes on the way back yes, was the plan. was the plan. And, um, in a week. In a week, which would have been insane. That refle- I don't... What, what were we on when we <laughs> thought that was going to work out? Mm-hmm. So we ended up pulling the plug on that two days before we left. Three days. Something Three days, like something like that. We totally changed the plans around and we ended up going to Maine and okay. to New Hampshire, yep. Vermont. Yep. Which was beautiful. Yeah. We did Acadia again. We did mm-hmm. Green Mountain National White Forest Mountain. and White Mountain National yep. Forest. Beautiful places. So we had some closer to home, safer travel based off of like COVID um, numbers last year. You know, as we had come into this year with being vaccinated, um, which if you haven't been, maybe it's a great idea to do. Do it. We're just going to say that. And we if believe that's in not that. your politics, we believe in then, science. Yeah. Yes. Um, I think, you know, this space. Yeah. So with getting vaccinated, we felt a little safer in traveling and with numbers decreasing. So we had done a spring break trip with some friends this year, which will be definitely talked about in future seasons. Future seasons. And um, and we had wanted to hit Glacier. We really wanted to get to Glacier. We did. So, and we also had talked about, can we go on the road for like a month? To six weeks. A yeah. Like a month weeks. to six weeks. Like, yeah. You floated that my way and you were like, with a year in advance, could we pull this off? It took some planning and some budgeting and some like rearranging of some things, yep. but we were both able to make that happen. Yeah. And our itinerary ended up being a five week yep. adventure. Yes. We had had protocol in place for our travel last year. So it was checking in with those protocols based off of what we knew, how the science had progressed, what the numbers looked like, all things like that, and and what our practices were going to continue to be. Like wearing masks in spaces oh, yeah. that were public. Um, yeah. And outdoors, we sort of, unless we were in a large crowd, I'm going to say, whereas before, we were very much so about like being masked on the trail mm-hmm. when we were passing people or near people, unless it was a large crowd that we were in for a long time, because this, you know, the science was a little different, and I hate to say that, um, the science had caught up, is what I'll say. Sure. Um, we kind of abandoned masks in outdoor situations, but were very, very present and cognizant of it. When in indoor situations. We were in indoor situations. Almost 100% of yep. the time. We also really needed to kind of like plan what were we going to be able to accomplish in five weeks. That's right. Basically, we got out a map... I mean, a phone map, but whatever. We got out the map. We looked around. We were like, where do we want to head? How could we do this? Yeah. Are there any places along the way that we're like, oh, we can't, we shouldn't miss that because right, right, we're right. so close. Over like two evenings. Over two evenings, we figured out the itinerary and booked everything. Yeah. Because we also booked every reservation ahead of time. Right. Because and, A, I'm a neurotic planner. <laughs> <laughs> and B, yes. with, you know, obviously the world is still a mess and there's a lot of things still up in the air we sort of weren't going to fly by the seat of our pants here right 
Not at all. No. And we wanted to camp some, and we wanted to not camp some. Right. So we were dancing the dance of like, when are we going to be on the ground? When are we going to be, when were we going to make a reservation somewhere like with an Airbnb or right. in a cabin or something like that? Over the course of two evenings, we figured out the entire itinerary. Mm-hmm. For the record, there was a version of the itinerary that included Isle Royale in Michigan. Right. And we had Scrapped to delete it. that <laughs> yeah. because it's so gigantic and like difficult to get to and from difficult to get to and from expensive to get to and from we didn't feel like we could give it the time it needed nope. and decided we were like i think that's its own trip yeah the 10 national parks that we saw during the course of this five week adventure included indiana dunes national park in indiana followed by theodore roosevelt national park in north dakota followed by glacier national park in montana followed by Yellowstone National Park in Wyoming. And Grand Tetons National Park, also in Wyoming. Then from there, we went to Badlands National Park in South Dakota. And Wind Cave National Park, also in South Dakota. Then we drove south and headed to uh, Gateway Arch National Park in St. Louis, Missouri. And then followed that with a deep dive into the underground of the Gnome King (laughs) at (laughs) Mammoth Cave National Park in Kentucky. And then we finished our National Park's journey again with another visit to the Great Smoky Mountains National Park in Tennessee, and it's also in North Carolina. Right, making it our third visit to the Great Smokies. Um, And it was... You know, it was a lot. <laughs> it was a lot. Um, I had a great time. I absolutely loved that trip. It's one of the greatest trips I think I've ever taken. Yeah. We did a lot. It was so exhausting. But all in all, it was like full of joy and full of um, just... Beautiful people. Wonderful people. Wonderful experiences. One of the... It's just... I will treasure it my entire life. Mm-hmm. That's the first time we've ever spent that much time together consistently. Yeah. And it was fine. It was. I mean, and things you'll hear about in episodes. Oh, yeah. We're not going to, we're going to tease it out a little here. Sure. But I mean, you know, did we have snippy back and forths? Of course. We're catty gay men. What do you expect? (laughs) (laughs) Um, That also are people that live lives that have their own separate spaces and own separate times. So like we literally were with each other 24 hours a day. For five days a week. For five days, five weeks. So you know, that with anybody, that can be taxing. I mean, we're still good friends. Oh, yeah. You know, I haven't fully written your burn book entry yet, <laughs> but it's coming. I've written yours, so there's that. <laughs> but, um, but yeah. Do I, not trust her. <laughs> but I think as far as like going into the trip, expectations we had were to really just be able to see and hike so much of the natural splendor of these spaces and to really be able to get to explore and see a lot of America that neither of us had really seen before. So much of the Midwest and West, like Northwest, not fully Pacific Northwest, but Northwest, neither of us had been there. We hadn't really touched any of that. So it was an interesting part of the trip was to be able to see so much America from the ground as opposed to flying because this was a full road trip like we didn't take any flights this was we started in New Jersey in a car we ended in New Jersey in a car I think our expectations were also to be as safe as possible knowing that while we were vaccinated while numbers were better and things were better and it felt safer to go away 
I think we were still living under the real fact that COVID has not gone away and that we are still very much so dealing with it. And one of those things that we had to really plan for and consider was crowds. Right before we left, I got probably 17 different emails, text messages from people talking about crowds in national parks. Like, we know you're headed to a bunch of parks. Like, here are these, like, all these articles about how it's, you know, straining on all of the resources and there's lots of people. And, you know, we were aware that we were going to have to deal with this. We also know that we not only are willing to, but often get up very early. And I mean, four in the morning, four in the morning early to like a lot of the trip folks get into wherever we need to go in order to get a parking spot or whatever it is to hike early and to hike often. often. (laughs) Yeah. We really had to navigate the landscape that was going to be a very crowded summer in the national parks and a very crowded summer across the country because people were feeling kind of that reinvigoration that like life was starting to get a little bit more normal for a little bit. And so what we want to talk about today in this bonus episode is how crowdedness in the national parks has skyrocketed and what the plan is to kind of remedy that because there are concerns and those concerns are becoming very real. So we talked a little bit about crowds and visitorship in our season three summit on visitorship Mm -hmm. about just sort of, you know, what the numbers were like in 2020. So let's talk about how visitorship has changed for the national parks in the last several years. From 2010 to 2019, the visitation numbers in the parks grew by 46 million visitors from 281 million to 327 million which is quite an explosion of growth. To better understand that, that amount of growth in a previous set of years that would match this would have been from 1980 to 2009, when visitorship climbed steadily from 220 million to 285 million. That is a similar amount of growth in 29 years versus an exponential amount of growth in only nine years. Which is crazy. That's an, that is wild. Talk about trends. Yes. Yeah. Now, while the parks saw a drop in visitation by almost 100 million visitors in 2020 because of the pandemic from 327 million to 237 million, it is certain with vaccines and easing of restrictions in the late spring and summer of 2021 that park visitorship numbers will be explosive again this year. And remember, these numbers are reflective of not just the capital N national parks, but all the 400 plus units of the National Park Service. For example, the Blue Ridge Parkway, which is a national scenic byway, received 14.1 million visitors alone in 2020. That being said, the larger units of the National Park System are seeing a surge unlike before. So what are some of the factors that have brought about this change? In the last year, the pandemic had an incredible impact. For the early stages of the shutdown, the outlets that people had were few and far between. The outdoors basically became a refuge for many of us and a way for people to have an activity that got them out of the house where they could feel safer being around, although socially distant, from others. If you don't live near a national park, at least in the early stages of the shutdown, you are likely to find your solace in neighborhood walks or local and or state parks that you could easily access. However, as the lockdowns were on, some people found themselves taking trips to national park sites, both near and far. 
The work-from-home culture that emerged because of the lockdowns allowed people, if they had the means and felt safe doing it, to travel and work anywhere. Remember, the numbers for 2020 in the national parks were by no means low. 237 million is still a very healthy number. And when you think about it, the number of national park sites that were not accessible during the pandemic, most likely because they were indoors and needed to be directly staffed, this number is most reflective of those outdoor spaces, which I don't think a lot of people consider that you know, if you have like a National Historic Site, that was probably closed during the pandemic. Right. So that's not adding to numbers. Yeah. It's the outdoor spaces that 237 million. Or like caves. Visitors. Yeah, or caves, like caves. Which is, you know, I think Mammoth Cave had a limited. one yeah. limited self-guiding yeah. tour that also had yeah. to be staffed. Yeah. Now the climb of visitors from 2010 to 2019 isn't steady or full of gains. In fact... There are some retreats in numbers here and there, and years higher than 2019. 2016 and 2017 both almost had 331 million visitors each year. But that being said, those numbers have stayed healthy and larger for quite some time. Some key things to think about are economic expansion, social media, and milestones. Let's talk some milestones. The National Park Service celebrated its 100th anniversary in 2016, which probably led to the boom in visitorship in 2016 and 2017, as more people were aware of what the parks and the park service had to offer. As far as economic expansion goes, after the recession of 2007 and 2008, economic growth began a steady climb upwards for the next decade. This additional money in the hands of individuals left people with more discretionary spending, which allowed for more travel from both domestic and foreign visitors. And lastly, in the last decade, social media has advanced, allowing for more people to engage with the parks online and through park-specific accounts or from those of fellow travelers. Sites and apps have also made it easier for people to book travel, find trails, and explore more of what the Park Service has to offer. Each of these factors has likely contributed in their own right, but as more people became interested in the outdoors during the pandemic, that contributing factor is likely to express growth this year and those to come. With so much expansion in visitorship and a boom in attendance, there are definitely some environmental impacts and concerns and human impacts and concerns that come with that. While it's wonderful that the parks have seen this increase in visitorship, it's also alarming from an environmental standpoint. Even more so as the IPCC report on climate change has recently been released in the summer of 2021, showing that human beings unequivocally are affecting the climate on the planet. This brings a lot to bear when it comes to the travel industry and how to better advocate and implement cleaner travel and a future that allows for the parks to continue to operate in the way that they do. In a 10,000-foot view of environmental impacts regarding climate change, many parks have already seen the effects firsthand as Glacier National Park's glaciers are disappearing, as Western parks are at greater risk for drought and forest fires, of which some have already experienced. The parks themselves are a testament to nature, its beauty, and its wild freedom. But as the climate changes in ways that are both swift and which haven't been seen in recorded human history, it's likely that great changes are afoot for these spaces. When it comes to the environmental impact this increased visitorship has brought to the parks, we have to look at 
the visitors and their behaviors, as well as the response to increased visitorship on surrounding park communities and entrepreneurial ventures that are spurred on because of this. During the pandemic and the government shutdown of the last few years, issues of trash and poor bathroom habits of visitors were notable environmental impacts on and within the parks. Visitors to the parks that may not be familiar with the seven leave no trace principles or or have not had the common sense to know, may be unaware that you need to pack out what you've packed in and that if nature calls and a bathroom isn't nearby or happens to be closed, that there are some important steps to be taken to not negatively impact the ecosystem around you. With increased visitors at trails and scenic viewpoints, there are issues of safety for the visitors as well as the natural spaces. People create desire paths or desire viewpoints that may crush plants or destroy desert microbes, which have taken hundreds of years to grow. Increased traffic and traffic jams in the park add to poor air quality and more disturbances to the natural wildlife within the spaces. Increase in businesses around the parks to meet the demands of those visiting are also stressors on the environment, from tapping into potentially low water resources to further adding pollution and further disrupting and removing plants and animals from their natural spaces. Along with environmental issues um, in the parks because of increased visitorship, there is also an issue of staffing um, the parks, which does lead to impacts on the park spaces themselves. Um, Like many businesses and employers nationwide, the National Parks, while not a business, is suffering from a lack of staffing. While job growth has been strong in the post-initial pandemic period, employers are still struggling to find people to fill the roles they need. The Park Service has been plagued with budget issues for years, which have definitely impacted staffing of rangers and park law enforcement. But the pandemic also put a squeeze on park service workers. A lack of rangers and park law enforcement puts visitors and parks in danger. With ever-growing crowds, an inadequate ranger force and ranger law enforcement force could be detrimental to the mission of the National Park Service, which is to, quote, preserve unimpaired the natural and cultural resources and values of the national park system for the enjoyment, education, and inspiration of this and future generations, end quote. Of course, lack of staffing extends beyond the rangers in the park and to the hospitality arms of visitor centers, stores, restaurants, and lodges. This, while inconvenient, may impact unsuspecting visitors who may have had expectations of a different experience within the parks. While expectations are just a recipe for future disappointment, visitors to the parks may have to have more than their fair share of patience when visiting the parks now and in the future, as crowds are unlikely to abate without intervention. Let's talk about ideas and solutions to overcrowding. So there have been several parks in the last few years that have instituted a ticketed reservation system for some of their most popular spots. We had to deal with this firsthand in Glacier National Park when it came to going to the Sun Road. Right. So Glacier National Park, this is the first year that it had been implemented, created a ticket reservation system for going to the Sun Road, which if you're not familiar with Glacier, Glacier has several areas within the park. But one of the main attractions, which allows you to see the incredible and dizzying heights of the park, but also to get from one side to the other very quickly is the very impressive going to the Sun Road, which is a two-lane road that winds you up through the mountains and is just panic-inducing for Dusty upon hearing its name. Fully. Um, They had just redone it not too many years ago. Yeah, repaved everything. Yeah, well paved. It's still two lanes, 
and there is, you know, a stone wall on one side. And then beyond that, it's just like nothing thousand feet drops. <laughs> and then the mountain is on the other side. Mm-hmm. You know, there are rocks jutting out. So it's very easy to like, you've scrape got your car. <laughs> very easy to scrape your car. We didn't do that, no, luckily. Because um, I'm what? An excellent. You are a driver who drove that road very well. You are a driver who drove that road very well. Um, I'm an angel sent sent by God. from God. Right. (laughs) Right. Um, Yeah, Mike did all of the driving on going to the Sun Road because I was like, I'm going to just say, I don't think that this is going to be possible for me. Mm -hmm. I also was a terrible passenger during any time we would ride on that road. Uh Uh-huh. A terrible passenger. I will fully, fully concur. fully. Fully concur. Totally. Um, mm-hmm. um, I was I, yelled at for gasping. And then <laughs> every time I like moved the car, it was like, <gasps> and I snapped at you on that like first day. I was like, if I can't gasp, then you can't do this shit <laughs> <laughs> because I will not deal mm-hmm. with it. Coated in dread, coated mm-hmm. in dread the yeah. entire time. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, let's pull over and get out and look at this. And I'm like, Yep. There are some pull-offs that aren't as bad, but there are also some pull-offs where you're like on that stone wall and that's it. That's it, girls. But um, but yeah, yeah, we digress only to say that we had to get tickets ahead of time in order to access going to the worked was you had to order them like they were available ninety days before you arrived. I thought it was sixty. May um, that's right. It was sixty days before you arrived. So you had to like if you were getting there, you know, on August 14th, then you'd have to get them on June 14th or whatever. Yes. Whatever day that is. It would be available. It would be available for you to reserve them online. For a dollar. They were just a dollar. And you get it for seven days. Meaning like from August 14th to August 21st, Mm -hmm. you're going to have access to going to the Sun Road. Yep. We were afraid that we were so nervous about getting tickets or not getting tickets. We actually tried to get tickets ahead of time. Right. Like a few days ahead of when we would have started there. So that ended up working out. And so we had, um, from the first day we arrived, we were able to be on the road for four days. Right. And then there were other parts of Glacier National Park that you can access from other roads. Yeah. And so we did those on the other days we were there. Right. And I will say this just because it is, not like a big secret, nor is it uncommon practice in other park spaces. With this ticket reservation system, the reservation was only valid from 6 a.m. to 5 p.m. That's so right. if you wanted to, which is what we did most days to beat the crowds, get on the road before 6 a.m. At 4 a.m. when we did. Well, we would wake up at 4 a.m. and we were on going to the Sun Road by about 4.45. Yeah. Or you could do it before or you could go in after unimpeded. And it really was there to prevent crowdedness and to allow for an easier time on the road. And to be honest, there were times when we were on that road and it was not bad. Like there were no no cars. I'm like, where is everybody? What's funny was we were told by someone who lives there that there's a little bit of crowding between 5.30 a.m. and 6, Mm -hmm. right before the 6 a.m. cutoff. And then there was crowding again from like 5 p.m. to 6 Mm p.m. because it's after the road, you know, it's open again. Yeah. But the point of the ticketing system was to keep the going to the Sun Road during major daylight hours, like not 
packed slab yep. full of people. I would say that was successful yes. because I never, we were never in any standstill traffic Mm-mm. anywhere on that road at any point in time. No. And it was successful from a visitor standpoint, but from the local standpoint, I know that there was some trepidation. And even though it had been running this season, some feelings that while it was nicer that it was less crowded, it felt like it hindered people who have been used to getting in the parks, I feel like very regularly yeah. that live close by. It, it's tricky um, yeah. because you do have to reserve ahead of time. You can't just waltz in when you want. You could do day. They do have some day of tickets. They do. I don't know what that's like because we didn't have to experience that. Right. Um, so there are pluses and minuses there. And that's what, you know, we've sort of found, not just here in Glacier, but in other spaces as well. Tickets are nothing new when it comes to the park system. Several parks have tours in which you are required to have a ticket in order to see a specific site within the park. Mammoth Cave, Wind Cave, and Mesa Verde are three parks that we have visited uh, that come to mind when it comes to ticketing. When we visited Mesa Verde National Park in the spring of 2018, we were required to purchase a ticket to see Cliff Palace in person, but that has since changed, and now it can be purchased ahead of time via recreation.gov. Wind Cave has a similar system in place as of summer 2021, where you must physically be present to purchase day of tickets only. When we were at Mesa Verde, we were able to purchase in-person tickets for tours the following day. And Mammoth Cave tickets are available via recreation.gov as well, and it is highly recommended to get those ahead of time or risk not being able to get a tour the day of you are there. And the only way to access Mammoth Cave or Wind Cave is via a tour. You can do a little bit of walking into Mammoth Cave without a tour. There was that self-guided that people walk through. Oh, are they... They're is al- that still allowed right now? Mm-hmm. I thought yep. it was only during pandemic that that nope. happened. No, you can go into the areas that are Oh, um, into that open, first that area. That first like, antechamber there. I see. And then there are tours that leave off that we had to go through those like turnstile or those gates to go through. So, yeah. In regards to parks where ticketing is new as of the summer of 2021, the list includes Acadia National Park in Maine in order to drive up Cadillac Mountain, which is the first part of the country that sees the sunrise in the continental U.S., Haleakala National Park on Maui in Hawaii in order to see the sunrise from the summit of the dormant volcano, Rocky Mountain National Park in Colorado in order to enter the park or to go to the popular Bear Lake section, you'll need to reserve a two-hour window in which to enter for either option. Yosemite National Park in California in order to enter the park, and Zion National Park in order to access the park shuttle service, which is basically the way to navigate the main park road since cars aren't allowed. Each of the parks mentioned are some of the most popular in the park system, but other parks like Arches National Park, which have seen the park fill by mid-morning on many days, are also mulling with the idea of creating a ticketing reservation system to ensure smoother entrance procedures. These systems have proven to be effective as many parks have had them in place for attractions for years. It remains to be seen, however, how the impacts of these systems will be when it comes to entrances to specific parks. Depending on the time of year, some of these ticket reservation systems may not be needed because the volume decreases within the park. That being said, with the initiation of these reservations, some parks may find that it is helpful in the management of the parks and continue the process. 
Regardless of your travel plans and time of year, it's always good to check to see if it may be required for you to have some sort of ticket to enter any national park site. So what does the future hold? The issue of crowds in the national parks is an important priority, so much so that Congress has begun to investigate and to look at ways in which the park system may better accommodate the growing visitors they are seeing yearly. I am so curious about what that's going to look like. Yeah. (laughs) While the Great American Outdoors Act, which was passed last year, helps to address the deep hole of maintenance backlog projects within the parks, which will enhance both safety and visitor experience, the money does not address crowdedness. Senator Angus King of Maine suggested that diverting people to the lesser known yet equally impressive smaller national park sites may be a way to help alleviate the crowds in the parks. There certainly are plenty of sites to see, over 400, so this idea is not without merit. The problem with the plan is, how do you work to create this diversion? Especially when the jewels of the park system, the big impressive parks that many people have on their bucket list, are not getting any less popular or any less majestic. The ticketing reservation system seems to be working in the spaces it has been implemented in, although it is not without the chagrin of locals to these parks who may have grown up in or visited them all of their lives. Despite the drawbacks, the ticket system does allow for a better experience for the visitor and typically a window of time when the reservation is unneeded, whether that be a particular time of the year or a time of day. So there are definitely workarounds. Another thought is to limit the number of cars within the parks by creating a shuttle system in these very popular spaces. This would allow for parking outside of the park and shuttles, which could take you to the different trailheads or viewpoints you would want to see. Having been to several parks that have the shuttle-only system for the park roads, this does work, but it means perhaps not the most enjoyable experience for impatient members of your group. It may be a combination of these ideas that are needed to forge a better future for these public spaces. It is clear that the parks aren't getting any less popular, so hopefully a plan can be reached presently to allow for a better experience for all. This has been Trail Mix by Gaze at the National Parks, the podcast. And we're here to remind you to hike early and hike often, and that adventure is always out there. Gaze at the National Parks was created and is hosted by us, Dustin Ballard and Michael Ryan. To see images from this episode, follow our Instagram at Gaze at the National Parks. To contact us, email us at gaze at the National Parks at gmail.com. And to find out more about the parks visited on this show, visit our website, gaze at the National Parks.com. That's Gaze, G A Z E. All original artwork featured on Instagram, our website, and The Gaze Shop is by me, Michael Ryan. All original music was written by Dave Seaman and performed by Dave Seaman, Mariella Klinger, and Sean Sklios. Our music producer is Skylar Fortgang. This episode was edited by me, Dustin Ballard. We would also like to acknowledge while recording this episode that we are on the traditional and stolen lands of the Lenape people, also known as Monmouth County, New Jersey. Mm-hmm.